Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. My guest today is Dr. John Ogrodnicek. John is the founder of Heads Up Guys, a program out of the University of British Columbia, which has become a leading global online resource with over 3 million visits from around the world, supporting men with depression and suicidal ideation. John is also a professor of psychiatry and the director of psychotherapy program at the University of British Columbia, one of North America's largest medically-based psychotherapy training programs. He's also a past president of the North American chapter for the Society of Psychotherapy Research. His research focuses on a wide variety of topics, including men's mental health, psychodynamic psychotherapy, and personality disorders, which has led to more than 300 publications. He also maintains a private practice through Optimum Life Consulting. Our podcast today with John is going to be focused on men's health, depression, and male suicide. John, welcome to the show. Nice to have you here. Well, thanks very much, Graham. I appreciate being here. Yeah, nice to have you. So, John, it all started literally with a simple survey in the waiting room of a doctor's office, finding that men clearly indicated that they have suicidal thoughts on this survey, yet they failed to mention these thoughts to the doctor that they were seeing. And the sad reality really became the catalyst for creating Heads Up Guys, your free online anonymous resource specifically designed for men and their families to prevent a continued erosion of men's mental health and death by suicide. John, share with us how you got involved with this program that became its founder. I've been working with guys in my clinical practice for probably the last 25 years. And over time, it's become an exclusively male practice, not by design. It's just, I I think people have recognized that I do a lot of men's work. And so that's attracted a lot of guys. And through the research that we do as well, even with our psychotherapy research that wasn't focused on men specifically, it was often hard to get guys into the studies. You know, you go to any outpatient psychiatry clinic and you're getting maybe 30% men in those services at best. And so it's not because guys are, are more healthy. It's just, they weren't coming for the services and you know, that, that anecdote that you spoke about in the family doc's office, you know, yeah. I had one of my psychiatry residents literally parked in the waiting room, right. you know, engaging men as they came in to do the survey. One of the items on the survey was, are you currently experiencing thoughts of suicide? Yes or no? And so within minutes, the guys were actually seeing their family doc. We had asked the family doc, you know, did any of the men you see today bring up any mental health issues, including suicidality? Not one of them did. Unbelievable. And so here we get guys, they're literally primed. And it's like, here, we're going to get you to think about your mental health and including whether or not you're thinking of killing yourself. Some said yes. And you would think that immediately they would go in and share this with their family doc as somebody it's like, okay. Here I'm in my doc's office. I can get some help. I didn't say anything. And we're like, holy crap. And it's like, this is scary. So if they're not sharing it with their family doc, who are they sharing it with? Right. Likely no one. And the sad reality is for a lot of men, that is the truth. They share it with no one. They harbor the pain inside for so long. And for far too many of them, they look at death as the only 
possible escape from that pain. And, you know, that's, that's something that we couldn't ignore and we had to try to do something different. Really good. And when you put it that way too, we, we recognize that it's not about wanting to die. We talked about this on other shows. They, guys don't really necessarily want to die or take their lives. It's just this pain. It becomes yeah. intolerable. And yeah. this idea of suicide actually becomes in some ways a coping strategy. I just want to relieve and reduce my pain that I can't seem to get rid of. It's yeah. that hard, isn't it, for some guys? It really is. And with studies that we've done with guys who have attempted to take their life, survive, yeah. we asked yeah. them about it. And then yeah. almost to a man, they said, I, I didn't actually want to die. I wanted yes. my pain to go away. I didn't know how else to escape that pain. It's yeah. like they go into this deep, dark hole. Oh, yeah. And day after day, that hole gets deeper and they look up and eventually they don't even see any light anymore. And it's like, I'm never getting out of here. Yeah. It's just too deep and too dark. Exactly. I've had the same thing in my own clinical practice of people that have survived the suicide coming in and saying, Graham, I did not want to die. I really didn't. I wanted to try to live, but I couldn't live anymore with this pain, like you're saying. You know, as we're talking about men here, and this is kind of our focus today, help us understand the significance of depression and suicide in the lives of men that you're seeing. Well, if you look at epidemiological statistics, you know, whether it's from the United States, Canada, UK, in fact, many parts of the globe, suicide is one of the leading causes of death amongst men. Yeah. And in fact, in, in Canada, and it parallels the stats for the United States, it's the second leading cause of death of men under the age of 40. Yeah. It's only accidents that are more. And mind you, some of those accidents are undeniably suicides. You bet. And so here, we don't even talk about that. We don't talk about it at all. You know, it's a public health crisis staring at us in their face. And it's like, we, we don't do anything about it. And we do know from a lot of research that depression, you know, particularly untreated or poorly treated depression is one of the major risk factors for suicide. So, you know, looking upstream, we thought, well, if we start addressing depression amongst men, maybe we'll actually start to move the dial a little bit with regard to suicide amongst men. You know, you're talking about this idea of there are certain age ranges for guys, 50 and under, leading cause of death, 40 and under, second leading cause of death. Yes, accidents, but I would agree that there are likely accidents that are not really accidents. These are guys who take an unnecessary risks sometimes, who are kind of walking on the edge of something and again, may not want to die, but also are kind of on that edge and kind of that precipitous place where they get afraid or they're thinking that I just can't go on. And they just unfortunately kind of tip over the edge, don't they? It's true. And in fact, with regard to accidents, there's that aspect where, you know, it's it's the risk taking, but it's not it's not the risk taking to look for the euphoria associated with the risky behavior. Right. It's like, I don't give a shit anymore. Yeah. And th that's the real scary part where the guys just don't care. And so they become reckless in what they do and yeah. end up in accidents. Yeah. And then for other guys, the accidents are planned, you know, again, yes. through, through our work, you know, we've talked and it's like, they've methodically planned out the accident that will lead to their death in order to not bring shame to the family in order for the life insurance to kick in. Yes. And, you know, lo and behold, we get another death by suicide that's documented as an accident. You know, you, just to kind of put something in perspective, might be a little tangible here. There's about 30,000 
people committing suicide in, t- in terms of the U.S. each year. Mm-hmm. And if we took a full airplane, let's say 300 people, that's 100 airplanes per year going yeah. down, 100 per year. That's 52 weeks. That's two planes per week going down. Yeah. And no one's saying boo. Exactly. And yeah, these things are happening every single day. By the time we talk, there's a number of guys that have already taken their lives by the time we're done with this podcast. Mm-hmm. It is a very real, but very under talked about and appreciated statistic. It sure is. And, and you know, when it comes to suicide deaths, he said 30,000, 75% of those are men. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And again, you know, even that aspect is rarely acknowledged. And it's like, we, we need to do something different. You and bet. it's not that we're privileging men's health over other people's health. That's not at all. It's simply recognizing we have too many men killing themselves. Yeah. The status quo is not working. We need right. to try to meet their needs in other ways. I want to come back to that piece because it's not about, you know, sectioning men out as getting special treatment. It's about understanding the medical and mental health needs of men in unique ways, particularly nowadays. I want to kind of flag that and come back to that. Also a particular age group. I want to talk about the 20 to 24 year old group, kind of the early twenties. It is a staggering and scary statistic, but let me start with what are some of the contributing factors in your work and your research, the, the, the contributing factors to male depression and suicide? What are you saying causing these things? Well, I think we, we first and foremost need to acknowledge how boys are taught to be men. You know, this aspect of masculine socialization, sort of the proscriptions and prescriptions of what men do and what they don't do to be regarded as a man. You know, you think of some of the things that, you know, men are supposed to be stoic and invulnerable, don't show any weakness, don't ask for help, put your head down, pull your boots up kind of thing. And, you know, the opposite of that, don't show any weaknesses or vulnerabilities, don't ask for help. And you can see how that then impacts so many aspects yeah. of a man's life, distancing himself from his own emotions in order to not put himself in a position where he may feel sad or down yeah. or anxious and then not know what to do with it. It's better to really not even acknowledge those feelings. Yeah. You know, the the aspect of self-reliance and not showing any vulnerabilities, don't ask for help. Right. And right. I think, you know, the the anecdote we were talking about in the family physician's office is a perfect illustration of that. Absolutely. It's how we're indoctrinated, you know, how we're socialized. Yeah. And the very way we're socialized and indoctrinated in some ways can really help men during very difficult times. We can pull up our bootstraps and we, mm-hmm. and it's kind of a double-edged sword. There are things that we need to kind of cowboy up around and address on the other side of that. When those kinds of things that, you know, were told to real men control their feelings or we don't let things get to us or we're not allowed to feel sad because that's not manly or masculine, right? Or yep. real men, strong men, they can just snap themselves out of this place by their sheer willpower and and like you said, real men don't ask for help. Clearly identified in that waiting room study. It's that that to me is just so sad that men can't name some of these things to say, hey, you know what? I'm having some tough times. Can I talk to you about it? But these myths perpetuate this ongoing difficulty to name these things. And instead of, and I think this is important for men to hear, professionals to hear, families to hear. Men will not oftentimes talk about being sad or depressed. We'll talk about being angry or irritable instead as a way to to maybe identify knowingly, unknowingly. That really down deep, 
we're just struggling. We're having a hard, sad, difficult, maybe even hopeless time, but it comes out in that irritability and anger, doesn't it? It sure does. You know, when it comes to men in depression, a lot of research and some of which we've conducted have looked at what we often refer to externalizing symptoms. Yes. It is that anger, irritability, substance use, you know, the risk taking. And those tend to mask what's underlying all of that depression. So whether you look at those as, you know, masculine cover-ups, masculine oriented symptoms, risk factors, it actually doesn't matter. There's pain underneath, but we tend to only look at the behavior. He's an angry man. He's hitting the bottle. He's a risk taker, but we don't see that this guy is actually really hurting and he doesn't know how to deal with that pain. That's a great point. This idea of a cover-up, you know, and, and ideally we, we, we see what's underneath, but typically we go judge. Look at yeah. that behavior. Look at that, you know, he's a toxic male or look what, you know, how he's, you know, taking too many hits on that joint or look how he's, you know, dropping down those, you know, those beers, whatever he's doing. It's, it becomes a judgmental thing and contributes to this idea. See, I can't even, but it's being those cover-ups are used in, at, at, at their very best to try and dull some symptoms. If I'm, if I'm using, I'm not feeling. Exactly. At least for a period of time. And, yeah. but that contributes to the increased risk of even depression be going, coming even deeper and deeper and get it, get it, like you said, getting darker and darker and more and more hopeless. It's very true. And it just perpetuates the shame because a lot of guys, when they okay. are feeling out of sorts, feel very shameful that they're even feeling that they're not right. supposed yeah. to feel that. Yeah. You know, that's what they tell themselves. That's what society tells themselves. Yeah, to, and, if, yeah. If you could to take a second here and expand this idea for the guys listening and for families listening, so they can understand the men in their lives, what's the role of shame in the lives of huge. men? Yeah, it's huge. huge. And we we talked about how men are socialized to be men, and so these expectations that are imposed yeah. upon them about how they must act, yeah. and in a way, it, it denies men their full human experience, if you will. We all feel different stuff, including the difficult things like sadness and fear and anxiety. And if we're told we don't feel that stuff, that we can't show it to others, share with others, we feel isolated in our experience when it happens. We yeah. feel like we haven't manned up enough to keep those things at bay. And if we do, say, hit the bottle, take some joints, to distance ourselves from that pain, to numb it, to escape from it, even if only for a short period, it comes back. We know it, but we just continue it. It perpetuates, and we just feel more and more shame that we haven't been able to shake it or push through it. You and bet. so it just, we get in this deeper and deeper shame hole. Yeah. And when you put it like that, it removes in an important way the judgment that goes around the ways that guys have found to cope when you're told that you can't, you, you know, you're not supposed to express those feelings or you get shut down or tamped down because you begin to share them. A lot of times what I've seen with parenting, particularly with fathers, there's great opportunity for men to help their sons work through difficult times. Man, that was really disappointing. Wasn't it? Or that was a really hard moment or that must've really felt sad. But a lot of times fathers who who provide our greatest models, even coaches, coaches, you know, 
those roles in which men in authority are in that help guide and shape young men growing up that basically model what is okay. These guys themselves, these male models and positions of authority, you know, roles of like a father, et cetera, they haven't had anybody in their lives who've modeled healthy male expression of really healthy emotions. Basically, the strongest men are those that can have full access to the, the wide range of emotions that we naturally feel in a way that we can acknowledge them, hold them, talk about them, and process them through and go back to our daily functioning in strengthened ways. But without those models, without those guys being able to show and demonstrate this to us, we don't know what to do with them, do we? It's absolutely true. And, and I do the same thing. I say the toughest dudes are the ones that I actually share. And if, yeah. if you disagree with me, why aren't you sharing? Because you're scared shitless. That's, That's why. That's exactly it. That's the exactly tough it. guys, the ones who are really going to, you know, demonstrate strength are the ones who are actually willing to be vulnerable and yeah. say, I need a hand. So, John, what you're saying right there is actually the antidote to shame. The antidote, Brene Brown talks about this idea. The antidote to shame is vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Being able to trust that other guys, healthy guys, guys that are probably going through things just like you. If you were to say, hey, dude, you know what? I'm angry. I'm irritable. I'm all these things. But you know, down inside, I am really hurting. Most guys get to say, you know what? Me too. We're not that much different. And that's when we get to provide that holding space that says, hey, tell me more because we're probably not all that different. And maybe we can find a way to go through this together. I tell guys this all the time. And I said, you know, it's going to feel like the biggest risk that you're taking in your life, sharing yeah. with others what you're feeling. But I guarantee you that you're going to have more care and empathy and compassion expressed that you, than you can ever imagine. Because other people feel that too. They're Absolutely. just waiting for somebody else in a way to give them permission to open the door, to create that space so we can model for one another. And every single time they come back and say, Doc, you're right. Yeah. Right. You know, I've had guys, you know, they say, you know, they, I'll lose my business. Yeah. Clients won't trust me anymore. My boss won't trust. It's the absolute opposite because yeah. they brought their authentic self to them, to the world. And that's what endears them to others. What's so good about what you're saying here, John, is you're doing two things I think that are that's so essential. You're normalizing that this is happening, whether we name it or not. It's not if it's happening, it is happening. Correct. And it's occurring. So you're normalizing the fact that this is real, it's occurring. We're just not talking about it. And then you're you're universalizing it, basically saying you're not alone. All men are going through these things to some degree or another. It's not just you. And when you when men begin to learn this, that what you mean is normal, and there's other guys going through it too, I have guys in my office that once they start to talk, I can't get them to stop. And I say that with, with, with love and, and kind of a little bit of humor on that because guys finally say, really? Or in a men's group that I belong to, it's like, or, or, or a team or somebody, you know, the, the guys that I get to, they want to talk. And once they start to get going, recognize, you mean this is safe? This is normal? Other guys are going through it? It's like, oh, I found something that feels so, so very good. And it sounds like you experienced the same thing. Absolutely. And it's like almost to a person, usually it's near the end of therapy. They'll yeah. say, oh my God, I wish I would have done this years ago. Right. And oftentimes they'll beat themselves up for that. And so we have to work around that. And I say, well, yeah. literally better later than never. 
but they all recognize just how empowering it is to talk and how empowering it is to develop insight and understanding to oneself to be able to then make different and better, more adapted decisions for them. And it's just like they, they're at peace with themselves. They feel they've gained agency and autonomy that was absent in their life. They have healthier relationships. And, you know, the word that comes out a lot is contentment. I feel content. Yeah. And it's like, if I can help somebody get to that place, I've done my work. That's a good day right there. That's a good life right there. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Whether you're a longtime or first-time listener to Behavioral Health Today, you're probably familiar with Triad, the company that brings you this podcast. But you may not know that Triad also hosts a community for current and aspiring behavioral and mental health professionals, featuring trending content and education and career resources, all for free. If you are a behavioral or mental health professional, or you're studying to become one, join more than 80,000 people on Triad by claiming your free professional account today. Visit us at hellotriad.com slash BHT. That's hellotriad.com slash BHT and join the Triad community today. You know, we're talking about this psychology of guys and the psychology of men. I want to go back to a particular stat. We know the guys in the age range 20 to 24 are five times more likely than females to commit suicide. And when I think about that age range, and, and, and the kind of the developmental tasks, each age stage has developmental tasks attached to it. And this is a kind of late adolescence, early adulthood around this time. This is when identity consolidation, basically getting a really clear sense of who I am within myself, my family, my peers, the world, that, that, that identity consolidation is taking place at this time. But if we ask what is or what has gone on during the lives of males up to this point, Oftentimes we see the absence of a father relationship and the, during their boyhood, or we feel, or we see maybe a, uh, and this isn't, this is not judging men in their father relationships at, at all. It's just naming some truth that, you know, fathers are struggling. The, 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 they're struggling in their parenting of their, of their son during boyhood, but maybe there's an absence of a father, or maybe there's a model of a father that's just not what that boy really needs, or maybe there's things like a body image or a confusion in navigating rela- healthy relationships with women. Or, you know, we see so clear, very clearly that they're told by contemporary culture that, you know, when they, when they read things in the, you know, the weeklies or the internet about, you know, the end of men or are men really necessary? Come on. It's no wonder it's a challenge for males to answer this question, who am I really? And what am I supposed to feel really about myself when I'm facing a world that doesn't seem to really like me and doesn't seem to really have a, 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 a place for me without some judgment? It is not easy being a male in society today, is it? No. And, you know, you you cued such an important issue, Graham, that identity development in, you know, late adolescence, early adulthood, it's such a critical period for anybody. But guys, we're, we're seeing really struggling with this. It's not a coincidence that the suicide rate and the sex discrepancy is so high at that moment in, in uh, the age span. And I think, you know, in various ways, what we've been talking about today are aspects of mentorship and the absence yes. of those models Good. for boys and young men to have in their life. And you're right. It's not necessarily that 
their dad is a bad person. No. Their dad may be doing the best job he knows how, but Absolutely. he didn't have a model either. You know, I go out, I make money, I provide, and I feel like I'm doing my my job. Yeah. And for that part, he's doing a fantastic job. Yeah. But maybe his father was never really emotionally available to him, and he doesn't know how to do that either. And unless we actually step back and talk about that, how are we ever going to change the pattern? Yeah. I love what you're emphasizing again as we're queuing this up. This is a really critical crossroads time for young men. This is going to set the course and trajectory for the rest of their lives. It just is a life of confusion, unrest, unhappiness, hopelessness, struggle. What an awful, awful sense to start your life in this place versus maybe we can reset this cornerstone with programs like yours, with mentorships like you're mentioning. And then as these guys begin to kind of go into their lives, they begin to kind of find their partner, they begin to find their career, they begin maybe to become parents. What a better cornerstone and foundation to be able to work from than one of confusion and just struggle. John, as we as we talk about this, I, I really want our listeners to have an understanding. Guy psychology is different. We know that women's depression tends to be more internalized. You talked about guys externalizing, you know, a lot of the depression and suicidality and struggle. Give us some of the signs and symptoms that help us identify depression and suicidal ideation. Well, some of the key symptoms that we know, like we have a self-check on, on Heads Up Guys, and we've had more than a half a million, but when we were at about 60,000, we actually did some analyses to look at the core symptoms that men are identifying. It's feeling down, depressed, hopeless. It's feeling bad about yourself that somehow you failed yourself or others around you. And sleep. Sleep being disrupted. Either you can't sleep, can't get to sleep, or your sleep is constantly interrupted, or you can't get yourself out of bed. So these are some of the core symptoms, the most frequently endorsed symptoms on depression that guys feel, suicidality, feeling that you'd be better off not being here, sometimes wanting to hurt yourself. But that that thought that, you know what, this would all be better for me and the people around me if I just wasn't here anymore. Yep. Yeah. And the real scary part about that is that when that thought brings a feeling of relief for guys rather than fear, then we know we're at a critical juncture where we must act because the more that those thoughts become seductive, we know that they're closer to acting on it. Their pain is that intense. That's a really important word, seduction right there. Those thoughts become very seductive. Mm-hmm. They, they lure somebody into a place where it's going to be better if you're just not here. And let's just stop the pain and let's just take you out of something that you're not fit for anyway. And people really don't want you that around, do they? So let's just, there's a really seductive, dark component to that, that I think is really real. Maybe talk a little bit about too, just about anhedonia, this uh, this idea where we lose interest and pleasure and things. And maybe even we take some more risks, you know, when we're in that place as well. Yeah. The anhedonia is, is really common. So you know, really what that means that the things that used to bring you a sense of joy or pleasure, you just yeah. don't care about anymore. And, and you're aware of it. Right. It, it's like, you know, I used to love reading or gardening or playing soccer, or going out with my friends. And it's just like, 
I don't care anymore. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't matter to me. It doesn't wiki when I think about it. It doesn't motivate me. Some of the other things that we were talking about: that irritability, the anger, the risk taking, the substance use. Those are all sort of the, like I mentioned earlier, externally oriented symptoms of depression that we tend to see being much more prominent amongst men. And again, you know, with the risk-taking aspect, it's not that the guys are now sensation-seeking in the way they haven't been. It's illustrating that they've kind of lost hope and they don't really care anymore. They just... They just don't care generally. And you'll hear guys talk about that. And it's just like, I just don't care anymore. It's like, yeah. I could walk out of your office here and, you know, walking down the street and there's a bus. I could step in front of a bus. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, as you talk about these signs and symptoms, it's not like, you know, overnight someone becomes depressed. There's nuanced pieces to it. It, it takes a period of time. And sometimes... And what I love about the show today, and I, and I love so much about your passion around this and the things that you're making so very clear to us is that these signs can be subtle, they can be seductive, they can be nuanced, and they can happen over a period of time, more times than not. And before you know it, you don't even realize that you're in it. You're, you're, you're not seeing it because it happens over that period of time that just becomes kind of your normal after a period of time. And it's not until you start maybe having a survey that says, hey, have you thought about this? Or a friend or a mentor, maybe something like this conversation we're having today says, hey, are you thinking this way? And you go, you know, as a matter of fact, I am. I didn't realize there was something of importance. And now that you're raising it, yeah, I've got two or three of these lining up here. Maybe I've, maybe I got to look into something here. But it is nuanced, isn't it? And it's not always overly observed and seen for what it really is until we may talk about it the way we are today. Yeah, it's a great point, Graham, that insidious aspect of depression. There's the word. Because it's not something where if you have a stroke or your your appendix goes or something where it's like right. this, it creeps into your life. And yeah. I, I one of the other things that I think you were alluding to and I forgot to mention is that social isolation aspect of depression. And it's like guys tend to withdraw yes. the more they're feeling off in some way. And they don't even know. It. It's not conscious, right? but they just withdraw. And that's one of those things, those observable signs for those around a guy to be mindful of. And it's like, I haven't seen Bob for a while. He usually comes out for a beer after the game or, you know, right. whatever. And it's, it's, I haven't seen him for a while. I better check in with him. And it's, yeah. so that's a really key part, that withdrawal aspect. And as you said, you know, whether it's that or, you know, your friend just doesn't seem his normal self however right. you want to define that. It's the difference from his normal, typical way of being. And yeah. let that be a signal. And he might not be depressed, but you'll never know if you don't check in with him. Yeah, It could be a simple thing. It's like, hey, Bob, you don't see your, see your normal self. Anything up? Right there. What I like about that is that most guys in that state so want to talk. I, we interviewed a guy that jumped off of and survived a suicide in the Golden Gate Bridge, Kevin Hines. Phenomenal. And he said, even up until the point where he was going to jump, he so wanted somebody, whether, whether it was on the bus that he took to the Golden Gate Bridge, whether when he got off and was on the edge, he just wanted to say, he just wants someone to say, hey, are you doing okay? That was it. If he had had somebody say that, he said, I wouldn't have jumped. I just wanted to be able to talk about the place that I'm in. In fact, he said he had hope because he just about just before he jumped, someone said, Hey, 
And he thought, oh, maybe this is it. What it was was somebody asked if they would if he would take their picture on the Golden Gate Bridge, took the picture, gave it back, and then jumped. What you're encouraging here, John, is sometimes as guys, we just need to get the conversation going. Yeah. And maybe even what you just said is a simple, hey, you just I haven't seen you in a while. How you doing? Or you seem a little withdrawn or kind of quiet, dude. How's life going for you? Just that can be enough. Yeah. It's called opening the door. And they may not walk through it the first time or even yeah. the first three times, but they know the door is open now. And yeah. that's the critical part. And by doing that, by checking in with them, you're actually showing that you care. Yes. And that's so, so important because so many people, and perhaps Kevin was even feeling this, they feel like people don't care. That's it. Yeah. I think in that state too, that I think of another guy who, like yourself, is an expert, a guy named Dr. Joyner. He talks about a new way of understanding kind of people who die by suicide. He talks about three key motivational contributing pieces to suicide. He talks about, just like you're saying, a sense of not belonging, of really being alone, this sense of not contributing, of being a burden to people. And the capacity, like you said, when it really becomes critical, the, the capacity for suicide, I'm not afraid to die. These are some motivational preconditions that we know can lead someone right into you know, that suicidal place. John, your guys' site, headsupguys.org, is really a great site. And it's a guys' site, if I could say it that way, with so many nicely designed aspects for guys to come on and take a look at it. So headsupguys.org. This is the wonderful site. It identifies the things that we guys think about and the way that we organize our thinking. But you guys are looking to improve the mental health literacy. So guys know how to talk about yeah. this of men. You wanted to reduce the stigma that we're talking about today. You want to and you do such a nice job of arming guys and families and communities with strategies for some really good self-management around this and support the recovery from depression and you're encouraging ultimately to live the healthiest life that guys can, the, their, their, their fullest lives that they've been designed to live, intended to live, but things get in the way, upbringings, et cetera. Talk about some of the resources, John, that you're most proud of on this site that people can click on and learn from. Walk us through some of these. Well, thanks for bringing it up. And you actually gave a great description of it. You know, essentially, we're trying to help guys get better educated, get tooled up and build their team. If you want to think about that, and it's like just understanding themselves and their mental health better, you know, mental health literacy, as you mentioned, we know from a lot of research, guys tend to have relatively low levels of mental health literacy and, and other research also pointing to the fact that low literacy is strongly related to not seeking help when you need yeah. it. So we want to help guys get better educated about themselves and, and also knowing where to reach out because Part of mental health literacy is understanding what does depression look like, for example. Right. Another aspect, and it's like, if I have depression, what do I do? And yeah. so being able to point guys to resources or helping resources, ours being one of them, but not the only one, you know, reaching out. And so I was talking about building your team. We really want to emphasize to guys that they are in control. They are in control of their health. They're not giving up. They're not broken and weak and somebody's got to patch them back together. No, they're the captain. They're selecting their team. Who's going to be on your team? What kind of supports are going to, are you going to put in place to yes. help you recover and live well? And then the tooling up part, and it's like, what are the skills that we can help you build to look yeah. after yourself? 
And so collectively, that's what the site is about. And we, we also have a, a section of the site where we're speaking to important people in a guy's life. You know, how can we help you in your role as an important support person? Yeah. It's really good. You guys have got a stress test on there. You got a, a section for practical tips, talking to a friend, finding a therapist, some real good practical tips for fighting depression. I, I think these are very useful, very bullet pointed, very nicely laid out ways that men can actually take some steps. And I, I like what you're saying. If we acknowledge depression, it doesn't mean depression or maybe even suicidal thoughts or, or even just a general struggle, not to be you know to that, that degree necessarily, just a general struggle. It's not like we become, you know, infants. It's not like we need somebody to take care of us. It's we just need somebody to come alongside of us sometimes. Exactly. And just to join us. And someone can't take away our struggle, but we can we can join each other. If you got if you're on a team, tell these folks, name what's going on. Guys want to come alongside guys, and guys will if they know. Guys need to ask, hey, how are you doing? Or sometimes we need to say, hey guys, I'm struggling and I don't even know what I'm in. I just know that I'm in something. Well, we were talking about masculine socialization earlier, and it's not that everything about masculine socialization is bad. Part of being a good man is taking care of others. That's right. And so you can do that. You can exercise your masculinity, if you will, express your manhood by paying attention to those guys around you. And when you notice they may not be doing well, they may seem off, not their usual self, reach out, support them. Yeah, That feels good. And it's going to feel good for the other person too. Because like you were saying with Kevin on the bridge, just waiting, waiting for somebody to ask, how are you doing? Yeah, that's it. That's it. What you've done right there, I really like. You're saying, you know, a strong man has the ability to take care of business. He can take care of his family. He can take care of his work. He can be protective, but he can also be extremely tenderhearted, aware of his own emotions and able to express them in a strong way. He can work through them. He can bring other men into his life. But this kind of man also is able to have this radar and this vision for other men around him. And the strong man is the one that reaches out and said, hey, pal, how you doing? What's going on? And and he almost kind of lovingly introduces himself into that guy's life and says, hey, I want to be a part of whatever's going on. And I think something's going on. Let me in. Open that door. Really good. I think that's another example of what strong men can do. They can be there for other guys in that very necessary way, just like what you're doing with the, with the heads up guys. Yep. And I think, you know, even through this conversation, what we're doing, we're trying to in a way, reconceptualize what it means to be a good man, a strong man. Yes. And there are so many aspects like care and compassion for others. And like, it's like, that's, that's an important part of my identity as a man. And it's like, that makes me feel strong. That makes me feel good. And when we can exercise that aspect of ourselves, we're also creating the environment for people to do it for us when we need it. That mutuality aspect, guys, you know, why do so many guys gravitate to teams? They like the bonding. They like how they can contribute to something bigger. Yeah. And what happens when we get drawn into these things, whether it's through business or a team or other things, we're, we're so hoping that our involvement in that can lead to something deeper, not just, hey, we, you know, we won this award or we hit this, you know, goal for business or we, you know, placed in this way. We're hoping for something more. And what you're nudging right here, I think in a really good way is that our societies, 
we as men, we need to be and, and build strong men so they can love on those around them in the ways that you're describing today. Strong men are what society, families, communities need to be loving on them and asking these questions and kind of shepherding things in these really healing ways. Yeah. And and part of that too, you know, how yes. can you help protect those around you by caring for them, by loving yeah. them? Yeah. And another aspect I think you were touching upon, that sense of belonging. Yeah. You know, you want to feel like you're part of something bigger. It actually goes back to Thomas's work, thwarted belongingness is yes. one of those factors that puts somebody at great risk for suicide. We all want to feel like we belong. Yeah, that, that's a great word. Thwarted belongingness. It's a failure of attachment. And yeah. it's a failure of all the things that come from attachment. Later on, identity consolidation and a sense of generativity and all those things that come with it. We're kind of beginning to close up for today, but as uh, we're kind of winding down, give us a maybe a story that sticks out in your mind about a guy maybe who's come through your program and says, hey, this was so helpful to me, headsupguys.org. Give us a sense of a, a, of a story that, that you're most proud of. I'll give you the story of the program manager for Heads Up Guys. His name okay. is Josh. Josh jumped off a bridge. He couldn't handle his pain. He survived, of course. And not long after, he started to heal and get back, you know, living. We started to post a position to hire somebody to begin doing the very preliminary work to bring Heads Up Guys to fruition. Josh has a computer science background, but he has that, for me, critically, that lived experience. And I valued that so much. And so it's like this guy was made to be a oh, part man. of this project. Absolutely. And so Josh, he, he was a, a quiet, honest guy. He was forthcoming with his experience, but it was, you could see there was a lot of discomfort there as well, sharing that story. But the more that we did our work, developing you know the content development took like two years like it yeah. was hard hard work but i could see his passion and it's like this wasn't just for him he recognized there's a lot of joshes out in the world and it's like i'm literally doing something that could potentially help save somebody else's life yeah. and with that passion and that purpose he began to share his story more and to me, of all the great things that he helps with Heads Up Guys, sharing his story to me is the most impactful, the most profound. And there's a video on Heads Up Guys of Josh sharing his story. It brings a tear to my eye every time I see it because just the honesty, the authenticity, the care that he emotes, sharing his story, telling others, I've been there. I've been in that dark hole. Yeah. Don't give up. Yeah. Keep holding on. Believe that you deserve to be better. And I, I think of all the stories of all the lives that we have touched, I see Josh and how he's grown as an individual and how he has literally used himself to serve others. I find that very inspiring. Yeah, it's a great story. Great story. Sometimes it takes one to know one, you know. 
Yeah. Someone who's been there and gone through that to have that message just kind of touches. I would recommend our I actually I watched it as well yeah. on your site. And that's a great one for us to identify. Hey, as we wind down today, we've mentioned it a couple of times, but give us the resources that we can go online and connect with you and heads up guys. Also your work through maybe the University of British Columbia and the psychotherapy program there, as well as Optimum Life Consulting. Well, I would encourage everyone who's listening to this podcast, check out the site. Maybe it's not for you, but check it out. You will undoubtedly know somebody in your life that could likely benefit from it. There's a self-check there, as you said, that's a, a standardized screening tool for depression. The stress test is a great way to just get a check on life in a broader sense. You know, what are the things that might be giving me some challenge that could be either contributing to depression, being impacted by depression? These are useful sort of insights into ourself. And you can share it with your family doc, a friend, a therapist. And it's like, took this stress test and, you know, I yeah. didn't really even realize that some of this stuff was bothering me. I'll give you a brief anecdote around the stress test. The two most frequently endorsed stressors in men's lives, loneliness and lack of purpose and meaning in life. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I think both of those things, most of us guys don't really think very consciously about it but they're really important stressors. These are important issues in a lot of our lives. And so doing something like the stress test can help sort of illuminate that and say, I've got some work to do here. Yeah. Again, we sometimes don't know what we don't know about what can be significant. And when in shows like today, we begin to name these things, whether it's some of the signs and symptoms or whether it's just even those two things, we begin to kind of become aware and have a chance now to see them for what they might really mean and allowing us to take some steps and doing some reading. I read this thing that no one should have to die alone in a mess in a hotel bathroom or in the back of a van or a park bench thinking incorrectly that the world will be better off without them. And I know some people believe that if a person is going to kill themselves, well, there's really not much you can do, you know, that if you try and stop them, they'll just bide their time or, or do it later. However, we know that, with suicidal ideation, this intention is transient. So if we can get support to men to help them through these transient periods when they feel disconnected or a burden to others, no purpose, like you're saying, or have the have the means, maybe even the mindset to actually kill themselves, we can help them turn things around if we can get in there in these ways and give them a path to a better life and give them hope. And John, that's exactly what you and Heads Up guys are doing. So Really, really nicely done. I thank you so much for being on our show today. It was a great time being with you. I really appreciate it, Graham. I really enjoyed this conversation. I think it's a critical conversation to have over and over and over again. We really need to start talking about it. And I, I, I love the advice and the guidance and the wisdom that you just expressed. There is a way to make a difference. Just show people around you that you care about yeah. them. And you don't have to be their doctor. You don't have to be their physician, their therapist. There are people out that are trained there. And I, I tell people getting into therapy is the best thing that you can do for yourself. Not only yourself right now in this moment, your future self and for everyone around you. Yeah, that's a great, great way to wind down this show just with that level of hope right there and those, that, that encouraging next step nudge. So thank you for that. I also want to thank you, our listeners, for joining John and me today. It's always great to have you with us. I want to remind you that today's episode and its resources 
as well as all of our other podcasts can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash BHT. So check out our webpage, triadhq.com slash BHT and explore our archive of podcasts and other resource materials. Thanks again for being with us on the show. And we'll look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavior Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community. And if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.